0: Katie Herzog, Mm. how is it going?
1: Good, Jesse. Something kind of exciting happened this week. What happened? Okay. So as you know, I am establishing residency. Um, I am colonizing North Carolina, a small town in North Carolina. I've settled some land here. And as such, I need to furnish a new home. And as you also know, the only reason that I agreed to do this podcast with you when you came begging me to join you three years ago was because it has been my dream in life.
0: Literally, literally at your door, yeah. hat in hand, wearing the outfit of a nineteen a Depression-era street urchin.
1: You were on your knees. You were still told than me, but you were on your knees. And the only reason I agreed to do this is because it has been my dream since I was a really young, a little girl to be sponsored by a mattress company. You remember this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I need to buy a mattress and we have this podcast. And so, you know, it just, it seemed to make sense that somehow the podcast would be, would like get me a mattress. It makes sense, right? Things seem to be
0: lining up. You would think if we did a Anyone who does a podcast long enough, someone sends you a mattress.
1: Right. And in fact, I've been waiting for this for so long that my bed at home at my house in Washington, I have a king-size bed and a queen-size mattress because I refuse to buy a new mattress because I just figure I have a podcast. Somebody's going to give me a mattress. Yeah. Okay. So this week, I go into a mattress store in Asheville. Jana is wearing her free press hat, a nice hat that Barry Wise sent us. And the guy who was helping us out, he said, oh, I I follow the free press, which that's pretty rare. You know, it's a it's sort of a big media organization in our world, but our world is a very small slice of the world. And I said, oh, I write for them sometimes. And he said, what's your name? And I told him, Jesse, it turns out he's a listener.
0: Oh, my God. So we have so we're all set. My, uh, mattress sponsorship He
1: gave me an incredible deal on a mattress. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, sure. this doesn't help oh, well. you at all. But I got an incredible deal on a mattress. In fact, he upsold me to the point where my na- my new mattress is basically a hospital bed. That it 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 lifts up. It elevates your feet and your head. So uh, I'm set. I I got I, I got the fucking mattress sponsorship, Jesse. Um, yeah,
0: let's let's run through one possibility here. Can we do a very brief role play? Sure pretend I'm the mattress salesman. When I ask your name, say it's blur, 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 blur. Okay. Okay. What's your name? Blur,
1: blur, 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 blur.
0: I love your stuff. That's amazing. I'm going to give you <laughs> such a good deal <laughs> on this mattress because no. I've listened to your show.
1: No, he knew. He The first thing he said was, oh my God, is Moose here? And I said, yes, oh. he's in the car. Do you want to meet him? Can I bring him in? And before he could say either yes or no, I ran outside and got Moose and Moose got to hang out while we were shopping for mattresses True, He's an I actual listener. tearing to
0: the mattress. Yes. He- chewing through mattress is all over the place
1: he's an actual listener and in exchange for giving me a fantastic deal on a mattress i made him a primo so he's actually a primo and he also sent me a copy of his prison memoir it turns out he's a felon and he sent me a copy of his prison memoir it is called look out for shorts i've been reading it and it's pretty good yeah uh,
0: look out for shorts yeah
1: he uh he spent three years in prison for selling ecstasy and uh, now he's out and working in a mattress store so garrett welcome to the welcome to the primo family and thank you for the sponsorship. So now
0: we're so now we're we're locking people up just for helping them feel awesome? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that's exactly what happened. For improving the vibes.
0: I would have handled that so differently. If they'd been like I would have I would give you a great deal cuz I know your work, I would have been like screw you. Unless you help out my good friend Katie Herzog too, I'm walking out of here. Unless you send her a mattress. Do you need a mattress? No, I did. Um, I
1: can go back.
0: I almost named this. I was very happy with the online service I used to send me a bed and mattress, but I don't want to name them because I'm not going to get any money out of it. So it was Thuma. What? What? When did we? Okay, first of all, how would you? <laughs> it was. Can't remember conversations I've had a week ago with like good friends. How do you remember what mattress company I used?
1: I remember this because I was shocked that you actually ordered a bed. I figured that you had a bed just on the floor.
0: Like a doggy bed, like a right. used doggy bed or right. something. on yeah. the
1: floor. I mean, I think most people listening to this would probably assume Jesse Single sleeps on a mattress on the floor.
0: If, a, if that, if a mattress, a mattress at best.
1: Right. I mean, most people probably think you sleep on a bed of hay. With pigeons pecking around you.
0: A, so, a, a soil something. Something, definitely. Basically. And so,
1: I mean, I must have been just fact-checking because I'm not interested in your sleeping habits whatsoever. So I was probably just fact-checking to make sure that you actually did buy bed and mattress, which I, I think you did.
0: Yeah. And it's it's been going really great for me. I use it to sleep. He's growing up. Sleep. Um, Katie. Exclusively. <laughs> what is the name of this increasingly comfy podcast?
1: This is Blocks Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog.
0: And I'm Jesse Single, and today we're going to talk about crime, the thing most people dislike. Some people have complex views on it. You're going to dip a little bit more into Israel-Palestine online bullshit, but first, I gave a talk. You did. How'd it go? It went well. There's a new chapter of Heterodox Academy at UCLA. They invited me to come give a talk about youth gender medicine as I, I spammed you guys with uh, mentions of it. Uh, so I just want to thank them, uh, especially Rogers Brubaker and Rick Sander. They were, they were just incredible hosts. It was wonderful to be able to talk about this subject I've been pretty deep into for a while.
1: No protesters?
0: It was This was kind of interesting. So we're in the lecture hall where the talk's going to take place. They're setting up the mics and stuff. Uh, I'm deciding how many of the free cookies to eat. Uh, I'm told that there's this LGBT law school group tabling outside. They're not protesting; they're just handing out materials. I was sort of nervous and in a headspace of like prepping my talk, so I didn't ask someone to go get the paperwork they were handing out, which I should have. But um, they were totally fine; they had every right to be there. But what was interesting to me was I went over and I gave a student at this table a piece of paper with my email address and my cell phone number.
1: That's not creepy.
0: And I was right. And I was like, "You're very attractive." We know. <laughs> I said, I said, if any, uh, look, I'm Jesse. If, I'm on campus for the next couple of days, and I'd be glad to meet with any of you if you'd like to talk, but there's no obligation. Um, I obviously didn't end up hearing from any of them, which didn't surprise me. And,
1: I'm shocked. Yeah. And I, 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 I Giving them the phone number, that might have been a mistake. That's going to get posted somewhere.
0: Well, I gave them my backup cell phone number. The one I have a cell phone. Your burner I cell use. phone? It's not a burner. Like I use it for certain things, but I it's the one I give to people who there's a slight risk. Who might talk to you. But, yeah. yeah. Like it doesn't – if it – was compromised, that would be fine. Anyway, so apparently two students from this group did attend the talk. I was told afterwards, I thought the talk went well, but I was complaining with like the Heterodox Academy host at dinner afterwards that during the question and answer session, um, like there were a lot of questions. We extended the time, but there was very little pushback. None of right. the students who were unhappy I was there took the opportunity to like poke holes in my argument or challenge me. I found out afterward that some of them, um, I don't know who, I think it was the same group that was tabling, sent a letter to their dean basically trying to cancel the event uh, in part Uh on the grounds that there wouldn't be a trans person on stage to rebut me, which...
1: Oh, like they they can just tell that you're not trans by looking at you? I don't think so. Somehow,
0: somehow. Yeah. Which, first of all, that's not how talks work. You don't automatically get someone like, no, fuck you, that's wrong. Unless it's a Uh, TED Talk. (laughs) Unless it's a (laughs) Coleman Hughes TED Talk. That's the one exception. Um, uh, And second of all, just come to the talk and you can ask me. That's what the Q&A is for. Um, So anyway, that's all secondhand information I got about the letter. I haven't seen the letter. If I'm wrong about any of it and find out, I'll update people. But um, yeah, it was just interesting to me that people continue to be unwilling to talk about this. They just do. This was not a major cancellation attempt. I didn't even find out till afterwards, and the tabling was fine. They had every right to be there. But, like, why not come to the event and ask questions? I guess I didn't understand that.
1: Yeah, something similar happened when I spoke at UW. I think we talked about it on the show for a fire event. And there was a bunch of protesters outside, and they didn't come in and try to engage at all. Like, they could have. There was a Q&A. They could have done it, and they just— would rather be outside screaming.
0: In that case, they were more mad at uh, what's-his-name, right? Than you, or was it about you?
1: Yeah, the talk was with this guy, Pedro Domingos, who I ended up actually... Oh, person of color,
0: they were trying yeah, to silence. Yeah,
1: he's a white person of color. Yeah. He's white-adjacent.
0: That's, that's the most important type of person of color. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and he and I ended up having a pretty heated... He at one point started screaming that he wants a thousand more Chris Rufos in the world. Uh, So I think if people had – That's not enough. (laughs) And of course if people had come in, they not only would have had a chance to question him and question me, they also would have gotten some free sandwiches.
0: There was free food in mind too. I'm wondering how many people – but that was outside the event, which is a tactical mistake because people could just take it and go. I
1: I think the lesson here though is that universities can do a good job of allowing both the protest – if it's well organized, both the protest and the event. To, to To go on, when I did my event, I came in through the garage, through the basement. I didn't even see them. I only knew that they were there because people told me later, and I could sort of hear them through the windows a little bit. But it's totally possible that these two things can exist at the same time.
0: Yeah, yours was more intense because I don't even wouldn't even call these protesters. They were just tabling in a perfectly friendly, civil way. Uh, but. Yeah.
1: Um Well, so I take it all none of the questions really pressed you on this stuff. It was a friendly audience? Yeah,
0: it, it it I mean, I was incredibly grateful everyone came, of course, but it was it was too friendly an audience. I um a couple of people challenged me in useful ways. The most interesting sort of slightly adversarial question actually came from a trans grad student who did come and I I talked to her after. She isn't sort of a social justicey type, but she made a really solid point and asked a really solid question that made me think and that's why it's useful to have a diversity of views and experiences in the audience at a talk like that. I was very glad she was there and I wish more of the students um, who wanted to challenge me had shown up. I do think part of it is just that Israel and Gaza is sort of dominating, yeah. speaking of which we wanted to dip briefly back into that craziness before we get to our, our like longer segment today.
1: Yeah, I want to talk just a little bit about what's going on online and in the real world over the last few weeks. And that is mostly anti-Semitism. It is back, Jesse. And you know who I've been thinking about a lot recently? Kanye West. Because it has been almost a year since Kanye got thoroughly canceled for saying, among other things, quote, I like Hitler. He also said a bunch of other crazy shit. He denied the Holocaust. That could uh-huh. be
0: – saying I like Hitler could be interpreted as anti-Semitic, I feel
1: like. I mean, it depends on what Hitler you're talking about, but I think in this case, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember he hung out with Nick Fuentes and then he went on the Alex Jones show wearing like a gimp suit and a NASCAR jacket. Do you remember this?
0: It's – It things seem – I would – at that time, I was like things could not get worse or stupider. In retrospect, way fewer people were dying. I would go back to that time if we could.
1: right. And Kanye, it turns out that Kanye was really just ahead of his time. You know, at the time, he ended up losing partnerships with Adidas, Gap, Balenciaga, and he was generally seen as a giant mentally ill bigot. But if he had just waited a year, he could have been headlining Free Palestine rallies and speaking on college campuses. I mean, just search Kanye was right or "Ye was right on Twitter Anti-Semitism, it's back, and he really could have been here to enjoy it. But instead, he's selling Yeezys on eBay to pay child support. It's its really quite a shame.
0: <laughs> All right. So give me – I mean I, I have my own views on this that are uh... – Characteristically conflicted. It's complicated. Jerk off motion. Blah blah blah. But like, what are what are you seeing that really strikes you as crossing the line into anti semitism?
1: Okay, first I want to say like I will admit I like I have thought in recent years that some people's claims about anti semitism being pervasive, particularly in liberal spaces, have been really overblown in recent years. Like I saw a lot of parallels between the everything is racist rhetoric and the everything is anti semitic rhetoric. Sometimes made by people who deny one but not the other. And I think I was maybe wrong about that because a lot of people really are showing their true colors recently. And like, I don't think that criticizing Israel or Zionism or is inherently anti-Semitic. Like, we need to be able to criticize every country's policies without being accused of various isms. But you know, chanting "gas the Jews" or spray painting "fuck the Jews" in the hallways of a building rented by Barry Weiss or spray painting stars of David on. Buildings owned by Jews in Paris. I think that probably qualifies as anti-Semitism. Oh, so
0: you're ta- you're talking like I-, I thought you were talking about more about like uh, there's obviously been a huge outpouring of like real-world anti-Semitic incidents of above and beyond online bullshit. That's yeah, it's disgusting, and it's also like it's just so disgusting to target. Jews in other countries over stuff that they have no control over and often might even disagree with, like certain policies.
1: Right. I mean, there was that probably the most terrifying incident was this. It was in Dagestan where a mob of people stormed the airport looking for
0: crazy that crazy fucking cover, uh, video.
1: Yeah, and of course the discourse is as terrible as always and people are getting fired from their jobs. We talked more about some specific cases about this on our last Primo episode, but since then there have been more. And I'm seeing more – it seems to me that the the bulk of the sort of like public support – is, in the, is like on the free Palestine side. Like you'd be more unpopular on a college campus or on Twitter as, a, as pro-Zionist, but it also seems to me that a lot of the institutional support is towards Israel. Does that make sense? Like I'm seeing people getting fired from their jobs for making pro-Palestinian statements. I don't think I've seen any people get fired from their jobs because of defending Israel. Does that make sense? I
0: think that's probably true. There's there's got to be some instances of it because it's like there is a very virulent. Yeah, I mean, I look. There's there mm-hmm. is in America especially. There's like a lot. There's a, a Jewish people tend to support Israel and they take it really seriously and and it causes tension within the journal, um, Jewish community. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I, the other thing is like. It would have to be – for it to be for the comparison to hold, you'd have to see a situation where someone said, like, I think we should bomb Palestinians indiscriminately or I think we should kill Palestinian civilians and then not get fired or get in trouble because –
1: Well, I don't think you're entirely right about that. Like, OK, in Providence, a member of the city council, he was fired from his day job. Uh, he was a constituent services associate in the governor's office. So not like a normal – not like Apple or Walmart or whatever. He worked in the governor's office, but he tweeted that the U.S. is aiding in genocide of Palestine of Palestinians. And like, I don't think that what's happening fits the definition of genocide. You
0: should not get fired. He for was. That. I don't
1: either, but you shouldn't get right. fired. Right. He it. was fired for that. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, what I what I was saying was that, um, and you and I, this has, um, I think, revealed some differences. I think you might be more like hardline mm-hmm. pro free speechy than I am because I think the people. In some cases, if you celebrate a terrorist act, uh, you're going to get fired from it. And we can debate that. And overall, I wish America did not have at-will employment. I wish we had more employment protection. Um, But what I'm saying is uh, what would convince me that there's a real bias in who gets fired is if someone – called for Palestinians to be indiscriminately harmed and then didn't get fired or punished for that. And I'm not sure I'm aware of examples of that happening. Mm -hmm. I think genocide is overstating what's happening. I think comparisons to Nazis are overstating what's happening. I don't think people should get fired for dumb out of line posts that aren't like literally supporting terrorism or calling for people to be harmed.
1: Right. I mean, I obviously agree with you when it comes to that. This to me, so this is what we're seeing is cancel culture, people being fired for political speech and some of it has been extremely vile and maybe they deserve it, but other people like the city council member yeah. who was filed, fired from his state job I don't think that his speech it was not calls to violence it was an incitement it was protected speech he was still fired. Yeah. And the thing about cancel culture when we were when we were referring to it 3 years ago and I think when we're referring to it now is that it's not just about the individual who is punished or fired or whatever it's about the impact on the culture cancel culture. And so it's about making other people scared to speak their mind for fear of consequences, either professional or personal or both. That's the culture part. And so the people who previously denied the existence of cancel culture are maybe sort of coming around now that it's impacting the free Palestine crowd. I am seeing some of that, although i have also seeing quite a bit of revisionist history being thrown around. Like, uh, here's an example. This is from Brianna Joy Gray, the former uh, Bernie Sanders press secretary. And now she hosts a show uh, on the Hill with Robbie Suave and also has a podcast. So here she is retweeting the YouTuber Shoe on Head. Uh, Shoe posted an article from The Intercept with this poll quote. We are seeing people being fired from their jobs, being investigated by HR over their social media posts or conversations with colleagues and having job offers rescinded. There is a clear trend that people's jobs are being targeted right now. I mean, this, there's obviously something very rich about this, especially coming from The Intercept, yeah. where Lee Fong was forced out because of his very normal, moderate positions on <laughs> things like right? Well,
0: what, I, what happened was slightly more complicated, but his life as an employee there was made pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people, yes, this idea that now Now. things have gone too far and people are being targeted for social media posts is is sort of bullshit coming from a lot of people making that argument. And again, you and I are in agreement that for normal, there's like, you should not be fired for criticizing the police. If you post, people should go shoot cops. I think you and I both feel like it's a harder case to say that maybe you shouldn't get fired for that. But normal political speech, including... Very, like, uh, the fervent advocacy for Palestinians should never lead to someone getting fired or punished right. at that, work. That sucks.
1: And, yeah, and there's even a term for that, a term that, that people have been denying for years. And anyway, okay, anyway, Shu says – I don't want to hear anything from the accountability culture freaks. This is the bed you made, but I will still fight against it for you and everyone else so you don't have to lay on it.
0: And she means by that because people, th- yes. th- these people would say it's not cancel culture, it's, account- it's accountability, accountability culture. You should right. be accountable to your words, yeah.
1: And Brianna says, she retweets her and she says, it's worth remembering that many of the accountability culture people weren't defending firings. Back then many conservatives were complaining, Emma Camp style, about not being liked by their fellow students because of their beliefs. Cancel culture isn't real. Arguments were often not denied. Denying that some speech was considered bad but that there were any significant ramifications for being canceled what we're seeing happen to Palestine advocates is different getting booed by a student audience is not the same as a law outlawing the Palestinian flag first of all yeah no outlining the Pal- the Palestinian flag is obviously wrong but it's unclear to me that this is actually that the flag is actually legally ban- banned anywhere including in Israel like there have been attempts to criminalize it in specific context and the UK Home Secretary said it may be a criminal offense if you used to intimidate Jews. But it's unclear whether anyone has or will be charged. Also,
0: Europe has shitty free speech laws. That's been our argument yes. all along.
1: Yes. It, the UK's free speech laws are abysmal. This would never fly in the US and it shouldn't. No,
0: I'm just like the, – the, some of the stuff that happened in Europe where there's like – there is real tension and fear because there are anti-Semitic attacks and there are – Some Muslim communities there that are anti-Semitic. So these like immediate sort of emergency moves to basically ban pro-Palestinian protests in some countries like really creep me out as a free speech guy even though I'm sure in context they feel like an important security measure. But like that's our whole point is that our free speech system is better because we err on the side of letting people express controversial views as long as they're not directly threatening Or harassing people. And some and some expressions of free speech can be interpreted by others as intimidating. But in the US, the courts have like taken a very liberal approach to when
1: that is. Yes, as they should. And this other her broader point is such a rewriting of history. People weren't defending the fire. They weren't just defending them. They were demanding them. I mean. Mike Pesca, Donald McNeil, David Shore, PJ Vote, Jennifer Say, Kathleen Stock, that utility worker whose crime was making a fucking okay symbol. Oh
0: my god, yeah. The yeah. Central
1: Park Karen, the dude from Mumford and Sons, Army Hammer, Allison Roman, Stephen Elliott, Ben Dreyfus, Bean Dad, who knows how many Me Too cases? Like it meant some of those people weren't technically fired, but they were forced out of their jobs or positions after campaigns to get them fired. So the campaigns worked. And that doesn't include all the... Andy Mills, Jack
0: Smith. Yes. And and we're lumping in together a bunch of ones, and there's different levels of evidence for different ones. But the point is, for Bree to say... But this is what some of them did since the start. They're saying, you demand nobody ever boo you, which was not the case, because especially during 2020, shit went crazy, and there were a lot of, A, unjust firings, and B, uh, if you're... Look, pylons suck. Pylons within media and and academia where it really has a chilling effect, you should at least be able to critique them. Like, if you can't express basic views without, like, your whole department turning on you, I think that's worth exploring. You can't really do anything about it. But the firings especially absolutely occurred, and I do think this is revisionist history.
1: It is, and I don't think Bree's even the worst offender when it comes to this. It's just just an absolute rewriting of history. And it is true that there has been a ton of hypocrisy in the past month since October 7th. Like, I don't want to leave the pro-Israel folks off the hook here. Like, if you spent the last few years complaining— about snowflakes and safe spaces and safetyism and talking about the liberal abandonment of free speech it looks pretty bad if you're trying to get the free palestine crowd fired from their jobs you can't have it both ways
0: yeah i agree um can i make one if i keep it to 30 seconds can i make one substantive point about the shit going on over there sure uh i would uh, this is a genuine invitation i It's just been heartbreaking to watch. And if if folks listening, and I'm sure there's some of them, like a lot of people are like being killed. A lot of kids are being killed. Journalists are being killed. Others are being killed. And I I just I'm curious how this could possibly lead to a good outcome where Israel is safer. Uh, And if someone wants to email me like the case for that, I don't understand it at all. And this thing that sucks, and part of the reason other than my ignorance that I don't talk about this much, is as soon as you say something like that, people say, oh, so Israel's not allowed to defend itself. It's not allowed to defend itself. Right? It's a question of proportionality. Right. And like, um, Kids being maimed and killed is the worst fucking thing in the world. And the less Israel does that, the brighter future Israel could have. I would read any email. Just send it to me. Send me an email of like, where do you think this is going? And just tactically, how you think it'll lead to a better outcome for Israel if you care about Israel. I want to better understand that argument because I've been really worried and disturbed uh, watching what's going on. There's my that's my virtue signaling.
1: Do you feel? Have you felt unsafe as a visibly Jewish person? And I'm not talking about your nose. I'm talking about your yarmulke.
0: <sighs> I would, uh, joking aside. There's unfortunately, okay. There's there's a right wing meme that Europe is full of like no go zones that are just right. filled with dangerous Muslims. Um, I, that, I don't think that's true. I do think there's neighborhoods where you could not walk around wearing a yarmulke or being visibly Jewish. And I think that's incredibly sad because they already killed most of us. They, I mean, they meaning mostly the Germans, but, um, I think there's absolutely a problem in some parts of Europe with serious, dangerous anti-Semitism. That's why when this violence flared up, we've seen some attacks. Uh, I don't, I don't, and have never felt unsafe in the United States. And I think the United States is the safest place in the world to be a Jew,
1: unfortunately. You do live in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, I I don't feel unsafe as a Jew in the United States right now. I'm worried that, that the more this shit gets crazy and the more, I don't see much, um, it would have been, let's just say it would have been helpful if some of the groups advocating for Palestinians to live with freedom and dignity, which is a cause I completely support, had maybe been a little bit more forthright about what they're against, that they did not think the Hamas attack was in any way defensible instead of, Immediately doing what they did. I am worried about things getting worse in the States, but I just, I've always told people I, I don't think, historically speaking, anti Semitism in the US is a big problem. I think we've been very lucky and successful here, even if because of we're never going to be safe every decade, some Jews will be murdered in the States. I don't think we can improve on that. It's fucking horrible, but it is the best we're going to have it. Right. All right. Uh, we keep housekeeping short. Sure. Blocked and reported. You can reach us at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Our Reddit. Is, our subreddit is blocked comp Thank you to Soft and Chewy, who will be at the, uh, I think, at the December 2nd party. So you can meet him. I hope he's a giant cookie. He is an anthropomorphic cookie, and he lets people who he trusts eat him, like little bits of him. It regenerates. It's very disgusting. Um, please rate and to retu- us. <laughs> rate and review retu- us on Apple Podcasts. I was... um. On the verge of getting better, I had a cold, and then I decided, I was like, what would help me knock out this cold for good? Multiple flights. Flying always makes you feel better. Huge change at swings in climate, 30, 40 degrees, and like really dry climates. So that's how you're supposed to feel better if you're sick, right?
1: It always works for me.
0: Yeah. It's working really well. Uh, and then, um, what are we forgetting? Is that it? Uh Oh, become a premium subscriber. Blockreport.org premium subscriber $5 a month and up, you will get three extra episodes a month and be part of an amazing community approaching 13,000 people. It's insane. They were all in that lecture hall. It was a fire hazard. Um and uh what else?
1: I think that's it. I don't know. I have I'm like my entire uh, top half is covered in poison ivy right now. I'm having trouble thinking. Wait, what the f- what happened? I got fucking poison ivy.
0: Oh, okay. How?
1: Yeah. I was like clearing, clearing trails by my house and I'm the only one who got it. We had a little trail crew, me and Janet and the nephews, and, uh, I'm the only one who got it. I'm also the one person who decided not to wear long sleeves and I'm
0: just to go topless.
1: i just went topless and I'm a, I look like a a leper now. I actually was just for Halloween. I just knocked on doors and then showed them my arms.
0: Why, um, you're clearing trails. Explain that.
1: Like building trails in the woods.
0: So that you guys can walk on them. Yes. Are you allowed to just, is this your land? Whose land is it?
1: Yeah. Well, it's partly my land, but there's no, like, you can't really see where the borders are. So I'm just treating all the land like it's my I don't believe in ownership.
0: Should we do a regular segment where we talk about our disgusting bodies? Because I've got a quick story.
1: I'm going to send you a picture of my, of my poison ivy while you're, while you're doing that. Yeah. Oh, please do.
0: Yeah. I have a, um, some sort of like, spider bite or bug bite it's been like a week or two now and it's so itchy and disgusting on my leg and i'm just constant oh jesus f-. it's really bad oh my god i hate poison ivy so much man you're it looks like you're as allergic to it as i am
1: i look like a monster
0: it's, it's your weird brunch tattoo doesn't help right? i
1: don't i don't want to talk about the tattoo
0: how did you get the brunch tattoo uh,
1: i had friends none of whom talked to me anymore he used to go to brunch with every fucking week and we all went and got tattoos and then now none of them talked to me anymore <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. And then they all ritualistically got it removed because they're not part of the <laughs> They
1: group changed group. it to munch.
0: <laughs> Carpet munch. Uh, all right. Let's uh, – we've got a crime in New York story this week. Katie, remind everyone, ideally without breaking into tears, about the story that inspired our Park Slope Panthers sweatshirt.
1: Oh, God. This is a tough one. Okay. So there's a dog named Moose. It's a great dog <laughs> name. I mean, a different I, dog. A different das dog. Is, yeah. I don't think that you really should name your dog Moose unless your dog is like at least moose colored. I think I think like naming it like you shouldn't name a corgi Moose. You shouldn't do that.
0: Yeah, but
1: people do it. I know someone who has a corgi named Moose, and it's like spotted too. It's it's strange. Anyway, there was a golden retriever named Moose and uh his 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 doggy mommy his human mother uh took him out for a walk and she was attacked by a crazy homeless man with a in I Prospect believe he Park. had a st- in Prospect Park but I think he had a staff was that right Yep and he beat moose and Moose ended up dying Yeah It's a horrible story But you got through it. You haven't cried yet. I don't want to have other dogs in the world named Moose so Yeah so
0: oh, so you might have planned this You might have been behind this
1: Wishing for something is not the same thing The same as like perpetrating it
0: So yes, this dog died And it because it was not only Brooklyn But a particular part of Brooklyn
1: Hey, sorry Jesse, I have to Sorry, my dad needs to get into this okay. room One sec, give me one sec
0: Hi Hal Hi Hal, tell Hal I say hi well, if I tell how Katie tell how oh, I say can't. hi Katie Walk, was close. Katie Katie tell how Katie tell how I katie tell tell, tell how I say hi Katie leave this in Katie when you edit leave this in Katie when you edit leave this in yeah
1: I can just stop when you're when you're doing
0: it. no leave in me if me not, I kept saying fast. tell how I said hi and you didn't
1: you're <laughs> gonna leave this in
0: hey let's leave this in the podcast' it'd be nice
1: <laughs> Jesse says hi
0: you're my favorite podcaster Jesse <laughs> You, you and Paul Bloom.
1: <laughs> All right. Are you guys done? Okay. Where were we? We
0: were taught before your parents so rudely interrupted, we were talking about – I was going to try to get you to start crying because Moose died. So, yeah, Moose died. This being a very particular part of Brooklyn, there was very little like – among the people who spoke up and the, the activism this uh, caused, which was some public safety activism and some criminal justice reform activism – there was real pushback to the idea that maybe a guy who kills a dog should go to jail. Um, and we will we will get back to that. But I was reminded of this story because we have another sort of more serious version of that that has been going on for a long time in a neighborhood of Brooklyn called Greenpoint. Uh, luckily, this merely features human beings being assaulted, not dogs. God. So thank God. you'll be able to breeze through this easily. Uh, it features a guy who has now been incarcerated, but the story of what it took to get him there. Is pretty astonishing. Kay, do you have any associations of Greenpoint or knowledge of it? Is Greenpoint, is that where the lesbians live? I mean, it's New York. So uh, lesbians yeah. spread wherever there are um, coffee shops, places to live. That I don't, I mean, what coffee shops and like uh, places to refurbish, stuff like that. Uh, the main thing about Greenpoint is it's just north of Williamsburg. They have really good pierogies. I've always seen it as a Polish enclave. There's also Irish and Puerto Rican residents, but in recent years it's gotten. Increasingly gentrified. It's a nice place, leafy streets, some sort of more warehousey areas, nice waterfront. I dated someone from there at one point.
1: You dated someone? Totally, yeah. I've
0: totally kissed girls. It's true. <laughs> a lot of online rumors about this. Totally kissed. <laughs> the only downside uh, is that Greenpoint only has a single train servicing it the G train, which stands for God damn, this train is late. Mm-hmm. Recently, Gothamist, a uh, nonprofit newsroom operated by WNYC or affiliated with it, ran an article headlined, in Greenpoint, a man with severe mental illness is harming neighbors. No one knows what to do. Katie, no one knows what to do. It's an impossible situation.
1: I mean, what are you going to do? Like, stop the man? There's Stop the man? You can't do that.
0: Are you going to cure his illness? Are you going to stop
1: him from hurting people? Not possible.
0: The author is a reporter named Samantha Max. She writes at the top of her piece, Elizabeth Whitcomb said, so "Actually, why don't you want to read some of these?" Sure.
1: Elizabeth Whitcomb said she was walking down Manhattan Avenue in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, one evening, pat this past spring, when she noticed a man walking right beside her. "Quote," then he get, just grabbed my shoulders all of a sudden and pushed me," she said. Whitcomb, who was too nervous to look back, kept walking. She said that although she wasn't physically hurt, she was confused, overwhelmed, and shaken up. The next morning, Whitcomb posted about what happened to her on a Greenpoint Reddit thread. She described the man's appearance after someone asked what he looked like. Soon, several people responded, describing similar encounters with the same man.
0: So it uh, turns out this guy was, uh, let me just read a little more. Court records show the man who pushed Whitcomb currently faces charges ranging from harassment and menacing to assault and illegal possession of a knife. He has also been accused of groping and assaulting women on the north side of the neighborhood and is on the state sex offender registry for forcible touching and sexual abuse convictions.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Is that illegal now? (laughs) You're in trouble. No one told me.
0: For forcible touching and sexual abuse convictions in 2017 and 2021, he denied the most recent charges against him at a recent court appearance and said there is, quote, no evidence According to city officials, the man has gone to jail and psychiatric hospitals dozens of times. He has started and stopped treatment for alcoholism, according to court papers. He's also deaf, and he and his mother say that, like, half the people in city jails, he has mental illness, dot, dot, dot. In Greenpoint, the man accused of pushing Whitcomb has become the topic of email chains, meetings with local officials, and multiple long Reddit threads. Interviews with more than a dozen people who live and work in the neighborhood reveal that assaults perpetrated both by and against the man— have forced some in the neighborhood to interrogate their beliefs <laughs> about the criminal justice and mental health systems. Greenpointers face a difficult question. When someone with serious mental illness poses a threat, what's the best way to keep both the person and the communities safe?
1: The anti-racism training. So
0: this guy's name is well known. It's all over Greenpoint message boards. I'm I'm not going to use it as I don't think it would accomplish anything. I promise you, you can find it. Um But to me, this story is a fascinating example of this really gonzo line of thinking pertaining to criminal justice reform.
1: Okay, so what else do we know about him? Basically, there's a lot
0: more details in the story. He's just had a really shitty life. They interviewed his mom. It mentioned he's deaf. He has all sorts of mental health problems. So he's just wandering around menacing and hurting people, uh, regularly getting assaulted himself. I don't want to accuse the Gothamist story of like downplaying this guy's crimes, but it was really what they, what she, Samantha Max, put in there was really only the tip of the iceberg. I actually had my own researcher go through and collect some other examples, and I want to read some of them at the risk of this going slightly long just to give an accurate sense of the level of menace people were experiencing in this neighborhood. These are some Reddit posts from about four months ago. Quote, he grabbed my partner's arm this evening on Manhattan and Huron, walking around shirtless, end quote. Quote, does this guy make high-pitched voices like he's mimicking a cat or bird? If so, he was on the G train a few weeks ago and got off at Metropolitan. Really creepy, just menacing. Probably one of the few times I've ever genuinely felt threatened and scared on the subway. That's saying a lot coming from New Yorker. Another one passed by me outside La Merced. Treat yourself to a luchador, you'll thank me. Maybe I'll do that. On Monday, he did that fake out chest thrust, I'm a hit you thing to a few people he walked by, but nothing escalated. Uh, another person says he just yelled at me on NASA. He's wearing a green t shirt, so see or clear. Another post from six months ago. I thought I would share something that happened last night because it freaked me out. I was walking to my boyfriend's apartment from the gym on Manhattan Ave last night, and this man randomly grabbed and pushed me violently. I was so shocked, shaky, that I just kept walking. It was around 8 p.m., and I know it could have been a lot worse, and there are people around, et cetera, but it was kind of scary, and hoping that this isn't a common occurrence in Greenpoint lately. I spent a lot of time in this neighborhood, Unfortunately, fortunately nothing like this has happened to me before, but I now feel a bit wary of simply walking around on Manhattan Avenue. Um, one of the people who reply say they are seriously waiting for him to kill someone. A few more quick posts. These are from six months ago. Uh, I've been attacked by blank, and I see frequent posts on here about other women experiencing the same harassment. Another one, he has assaulted both my friend and me. I try to avoid Northern Greenpoint unless I'm with someone these days, pretty shaken up. Another one, was just seen drunk stumbling down Manhattan between Greenpoint Ab stop, shirt and pants halfway on, sloppy drunk and lunging at anyone close enough. Here's one from eight months ago. He spit on me as I was running to the train heading to work about a month ago. Didn't report it as I was rushing to work and just wanted to get away, but he was right outside of early coffee. Uh, Last one. Just saw him on Manhattan and Green following a random guy who he ran up to and shoved and yelled at him. Uh, It's just crazy how long this went on. Uh, There were more posts from a year ago. One of them about he assaulted Two of someone's female friends in past years, I found a 2017 article with the headline, Guardian Angels Promise to Protect Greenpoint from Man Locked Up Weeks Ago. So as of 2017, he was a known groper, wandering around groping and pushing people. Um, It's clear from the timeline this has been going on for more than half a decade. And that in the eyes of some residents, not to mention you know, I'd, I'd say based on our framing, the author of this overall pretty interesting piece in The Gothamist, there's still this big question of like, what can we do about it? Can we help him? Right. Don't you find that a little bit weird given all this context?
1: Right. There seems to be a real disregard for the victims of his crimes.
0: Yes. And in some of the victims of his crimes don't want to report him. They don't want to get him in trouble. Right. You see some of that Some of that sentiment. but. I always worry that we get exposed to so much online craziness that we forget that like a lot of craziness stems from important kernels of truth and criminal justice reform is really important. It was like one of the first issues that sort of made me politically engaged things like the war on drugs like heinous prison sentences for minor nonviolent crimes.
1: Yeah, I just read an article that Billy Binion shared. He's a reporter for Reason. He's really good on criminal justice reform. Um, I read an article that he shared on Twitter about a guy who his his life sentence was just commuted this guy's in his 60s. He got a life sentence for it was three strikes law, three like basically very minor felonies possession of cocaine. Spending your life in prison because of cocaine possession. It's that fu- is it's that fucking should, insane. yeah. It should not exist anywhere.
0: Yeah, and and some of these issues have hit New York particularly hard for various historical reasons. Um, when I was working on this segment, I actually had never read this Pulitzer Prize-nominated story by Jennifer Gonnerman in The New Yorker. It's from 2014. It's about Khalif Browder, a teenager um, accused of theft uh, on the basis of nothing. There's really no evidence, and I think at one point assault too. He underwent this absolutely Kafkaesque horror story he spent 3 years on Rikers Island awaiting trial never having been convicted of anything. We'll include a link mm-hmm. to it in the show notes. I hope people read it. It does a really good job of showing that you know, things like like racism and bigotry are factors, but it's really just the sheer dysfunctionality of some of these um Bureaucracies. We'll also include a link to this one 2012 New York Times article that is such a good example of how quickly shift things have shifted. It starts with a story about this dude. He's taking the subway to his job at a Bronx bakery at 4 a.m. So it's a very empty train. He puts his feet up on the seat and nods off, falls asleep. He's woken up by a cop, Katie. He's arrested for putting his feet up on the seat.
1: What the fuck? Arrested. I mean, eating eating on the train is one thing. Putting your feet up. Yes.
0: Summary execution for eating. Um, Seven years prior, uh, in 2005, I think, New York City had decided to make putting your feet on the subway, up on the subway, an actual crime. Mm -hmm meaning you wouldn't just get a ticket, but you could you could go to jail for it. And that's an example of why people have such strong views about criminal justice reform. So there's that stuff. There's a the legacy of stop and frisk. There's a the war on drugs. There's the fact that, according to the AP, only about 30% of Texas prisons are fully air-conditioned, which is insane. That's like the shit we would investigate if that was in, like, a Central American country. So the peak of the era of mass incarceration appears to have passed. There's still bad stuff that needs to be addressed, but— I do think there's been this rise of this type of person who just doesn't really see a role for law enforcement at all, except in the most extreme circumstances. And that's the framing of this Gothamist story. Like it's actually well reported. Samantha Max talks to a lot of people and she spends some time in court seeing what happens to people with severe mental health problems. But the framing is just like, huh, this guy keeps punching people. If only there was something we could do, which there is something we can do, right? It doesn't it doesn't unfortunately like it reaches a point where it doesn't need to be a perfect solution, but people need to be safe walking around on the street.
1: Right. And maybe the f- perfect solution here isn't to send him to prison to or to a place like Rikers, but to send him to a mental institution. Of course, those don't really exist the way that they once did. And of course, there are many horror stories about people being caught up in these institutions and in human rights abuses at these institutions. But if you get rid of the institution, it doesn't actually get rid of the problem itself.
0: Yeah, the, the whole legacy of like of closing down um, mental health institutions is, I want to learn more about it, but deinstitutionalization failed as a policy. And and some of what we're seeing now is a result of that. There's also the, the line is always, Whenever something like this happened, they didn't have access to services, more mental health services, more spending on mental health. I think in some cases that's true, but this is one of many examples where that's a little bit of an oversimplification. I'll read from the Gothamist article – Local council member Lincoln Ressler, who co-chairs the Progressive Caucus and is an outspoken advocate for criminal justice reform, said his office has been working with residents, police, prosecutors and the health department to help the man. He said they secured him a spot in an intensive mental health treatment program before an arrest over the summer disconnected him from those services. Quote, I am just incredibly disappointed by how slow this all moves. He said, well, everybody deserves a needs due process. When we have someone in crisis, we should be able to work together much more quickly to get the help and treatment and support that is needed to stabilize the situation. So not an expert on this stuff, but there, involuntary mental health commitment if you're violently attacking people seems like an obvious potential solution. But the problem is that the premise seems to be that incarcerating someone or forcing them into mental health treatment just should hardly ever be done, even in these extreme cases. This is now a belief that some people with actual power hold. Remember that we learned during the dog murder episode that dog murder isn't extreme enough uh, to be locked up, at least not for some. There was an unforgettable quote from Mix Michael Whitesides, a spokesperson for Councilwoman Shahana Hanif, who represented the part of Brooklyn where the dog slaughter occurred. Katie, will you just read this one graph from the New York Times coverage of that?
1: Michael Whitesides, a spokesperson for Ms. Hanif, that's the city council person, called the situation complicated. Quote, we don't believe that the NYPD is the vehicle to bring safety to our community, Mix Whitesides said. Quote, when it comes to this individual, they're clearly a present danger to others and most likely themselves, and figuring out how we can safely de-escalate that situation without putting anyone else in danger is complicated. Have you ever tried to de-escalate a situation with somebody in the midst of a mental health crisis, Jesse? How does that work?
0: This is such a good example of like concept creep because de-escalation is like this useful concept where if someone is agitated and something bad hasn't happened yet, de-escalators can de-escalate mm-hmm. it. after a dog has been murdered right. after the act of dog slaughter. I would argue that's when you should maybe table de-escalation for this person for now, at least until you can get them help.
1: You see him walking around around the neighborhood sometimes, right? Have you tried to de- de-escalate?
0: I, well, I told you, I saw him once, a guy who must be him unless there are multiple guys with dreadlocks carrying large staffs, wandering around, muttering. And a
1: dog skull around.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, as far as I know, he's still just wandering around. But so – you see the same thing though here with Greenpoint. Like it's somehow a difficult question what should be done about uh, a guy who acts much worse than the dog killer because he's – I mean I would – I know you value dog labs above human ones. But he. it seems like he's assaulted dozens of people over the years. People acting like we don't have a place as imperfect and problematic as it can be designed specifically to separate them, separate dangerous people and their potential victims. and. What I find so annoying about this is that the case for criminal justice reform used to be so simple. Like I remember in the aughts and early 2010s when you talked about this stuff, you never had to hedge and be like, now I'm not saying we shouldn't have prisons or police or that we shouldn't lock up violent people because it felt like that was universally recognized as a pretty crazy position or maybe I was just like cut off from the radicals. But we, we drew a really serious line between violent and nonviolent offenders and that, that seems really important. But in this situation, he was just wandering around forever. Another line from the Gothamist article, a local community group has set up a hotline and offered to walk people around the neighborhood if they're scared. So that's where we're at in, I think, one of the richest cities in the richest country in the history of the world is a local community group has to escort people around. Um, I just think this makes the whole criminal reform justice movement look stupid. There have been multiple examples of this in New York of people – with long, long rap sheets of violent offenses, I don't care if someone has been picked up ten times for public drinking. You know, not, well, that's not that's now decriminalized. But like quality of life shit, who cares? I don't want people in jail for that. But this is not an uncommon event in New York, and I don't know if the solution is, but there has to be a solution. The eighth time you randomly punch someone, you should be separated from people until you will no longer punch people. And I don't think you need to like hand in your card as an advocate of criminal justice reform to express that opinion. And in this case, by the end of the story, uh, because of I think an arrest in July, the guy has been sent to Rikers now because he had, you know, he'd been given another chance to go to treatment. Then he went back out and assaulted someone else. I think at this point there's been enough publicity that that might be it, but – Think about the impact this guy had. This happened years after most people would have been like enough, enough. Think of all the assaults that occurred, all the times he was assaulted. Uh, It just – it was a disastrous outcome and uh, really, really frustrating to watch.
1: Okay, so how much do you think we can actually blame this on like woke DAs or woke views on criminal justice reform?
0: Yeah, I I don't want to go too far and be like this – Uh, The Khalif Browder article really showed how there's just so many forms of bureaucratic dysfunction that are not visible to people who aren't in the system. This is obviously the other direction. This is like under-incarceration rather than over-incarceration. And it's not like just because there was a Gothamist article with a particular framing. That doesn't mean that that fully explains what happened here. I suspect it was a variety of factors. I will say – this is totally anecdotal. It was kind of interesting what happened when I posted to the Greenpoint subreddit being like, I'm a journalist. I'm curious what people think about this. Um, obviously, it didn't entirely go well. These Brooklyn neighborhood boards have a lot of lefties and a few of them don't like me and said so. Did you use your name? Yeah, I said it blocked and reported. I made it clear. Um, there were some really negative responses, but whatever. But people were – some people were unhappy about like the idea of even covering it all. Uh And they objected to the fact that I I noted in my post that there's a version of criminal justice reform that seems to, like, not be interested in incarcerating, you know, even really dangerous people, which seems to me obviously true at this point. Uh, But then I saw this, like, subtle sign of how many people might feel differently but be afraid to say so. So I had said in my post that I wasn't going to use his name. The highest upvoted comment read, Use his name. That it says his name. The way people tiptoe around this guy and his serial crimes is absolute madness. So even in this very lefty, very online place, there was a lot of frustration. Uh, I responded to this person by being like, well, a number of people here think I shouldn't talk about this at all. Then the person responded, quote, well, those psychopaths definitely don't reflect the opinion of a large portion of Greenpoint. Right. One last point I want to make on this is that Samantha Max like really focused on the role of gentrification, of course as basically
1: gentrification does cause mental illness.
0: I mean, she basically argued that like she, this wasn't a bad article. I disagreed with the framing. It was thorough journalism, but she really focused on gentrification as one of the forces causing this guy to have committed all these crimes. And I'm just always skeptical of that. Like gentrification does displace people. It does have losers as well as some winners, including, I think, I think all my landlords are from immigrant families and like mm-hmm. bought in neighborhoods before they were gentrified. That doesn't mean there aren't huge developers who benefit, but there, there are some winners to gentrification.
1: Well, and, and people also win if their neighborhoods become safer, if they can stay in the neighborhood. Yeah,
0: if they can stay. Uh, it definitely pushes some people out. But like the most serious areas of high, high crime and poor mental health and homelessness and eviction, and the sociologist Matthew Desmond is good on this, are in the poorest neighborhoods, the ones that rarely get any attention from journalists like us, not places like Greenpoint. Um And I think one interesting angle on the gentrification thing has been missed here. So a couple of people did reach out to me after I posted to the subreddit. One of them told me that there was like this divide that had manifested uh, in their responses. This person wrote – and again, there's just one random person on the message board, just their opinion. Quote, Newer residents tend to have more liberal views about the justice system. Older residents seem to be more likely to advocate punitive measures or talk about taking matters into their own hands. So that's interesting, because that, that's a missing angle on the gentrification thing, right? If we're going to talk about gentrification, one part it's
1: of the gentrifiers? Yeah, <laughs> one, yeah.
0: one part of the conversation has to be which population is most into radical views on criminal justice reform that might contribute to this guy staying on the streets and harming people, and that's the gentrifiers. So the intersectional politics are complicated.
1: Has anybody in the local government said anything about this situation?
0: Yeah, I, I reached out uh, to the city councilman because he was mentioned in the story, Lincoln Wrestler. Um, I mentioned he, uh, We mentioned him above. He's like a reformer type. I'll read part of his statement. He, the guy, is currently being held in Rikers and has an upcoming court date which will determine whether or not he is mentally fit to stand trial. I'll be shocked to see how that goes. I am pleased that his case is now being handled in mental health court, which should generate effective treatment solutions as the outcome. Ultimately, this very sad case is a clear example of the work our city needs to do to prevent people in similar situations to him from hurting themselves or our neighbors. I've been pushing hard for the need for therapeutic beds at borough-based jails and at hospitals to more appropriately serve people with mental and physical illnesses in our criminal justice system. So we'll see where this ends up. I do think like the amount of embarrassment to the city and publicity – um, and just his rap sheet it 's a very sad situation i wouldn 't want i don 't want people to have to go to Rikers, but if you punch enough people, you have to be separated from them. I just think that that has to be a non negotiable
1: yeah this issue has come up in Seattle as well, where there 's a lot of mental illness there 's a lot of open air drug use, and you also have reformers who don 't think that this should be illegal at all that people should be able to shoot heroin on the street and that's fine. And this is actually what happens when you walk around the streets of Seattle. People you know it really has become a place where junkies just sort of do their thing. like Janna walks to walks to uh, walks to work from the ferry. Pretty often, and she does this at five o'clock in the morning. And she sees people just shitting in doorways on the street. This is a very common thing. But to a lot of activists, any any sort of criminalization for drug use is just is a human rights abuse.
0: Well, they can use that shit for their urban gardens anyway, so they want to keep access to it.
1: I don't know if you if like that wouldn't be organic then because it's got like fentanyl and heroin in the shit.
0: It's uh, I,
1: you gotta have organic compost for your organic garden. Those situations,
0: and I I, I know it's like. Well, I don't know how – I was going to say I know it's just limited neighborhoods, but I haven't been to these cities, so I don't know, I, or not much of them. They, The situations where it is just people can do drugs openly, that's one where like I, I can more understand the conflicts if they're not hurting anyone, but you can't have a situation where people are just shooting up in public. I mean do you think if someone is repeatedly caught shooting up in public, for example, would you be comfortable with mandatory not jail but uh, inpatient treatment for their addiction or hospitalization?
1: I would probably be okay with that. I think the problem is that it's – if people don't want to get clean, they're not yeah, going to get clean. Yeah. You really have to – you can – I mean there are some some cases where people end up in prison and they detox in prison and they whatever start having – they start going to meetings and they, they do get their shit together but –
0: Or they go to prison and they become more traumatized and right, come out and just go right back
1: to it. Right. So I think that's the issue is – You can't force people to want to get clean. And the other issue is that it can be really onerous. Like the best way to get off of opioids is to do it using medication, using things like Suboxone. And they make it, federal law makes it really onerous to get these drugs. So you can't just like go get a prescription from your doctor and have your Suboxone at home. That's not how it works. And, you know, you have to go to a clinic. The clinics are usually hard to get to. You have to go to a certain time. So I think that would be probably the first step is making it a lot easier, tearing down a lot of the bureaucratic barriers for people to get the medication that makes coming out of these drugs a lot more feasible.
0: Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with this guy. And I mean, there's obviously been huge backlash to sort of the open-air drug use, I think, especially in like those West Coast cities. So uh, it could be a bit of a campaign issue in 2024.
1: I mean, that's already – Become a campaign issue, at least in Seattle. So a few years ago, I think we talked about this at the time, but a few years ago for the city attorney position, so the top prosecutor – Uh, They had a reformer, a public defender who had tweeted things like, all cops are bastards and fuck the police, and was in favor of defunding the police and emptying the prisons, running against an actual Republican, and the Republican won. This was the first time a Republican had been elected to this office in Seattle in a very long time. But voters were just over it. Voters didn't want to have a reformer. They wanted somebody who would clean up the streets. Because it isn't just about the drug addicts and the homeless people and the mentally ill people who are on the streets – It's also about the people who live in them and people wanted to feel like they were represented as well. And I mean, like something has to be done about antisocial behavior. It has to. Antisocial behavior is always going to happen. And if the idea is like, okay, people will go into the community and their families and their community will take care of them. Great. If you can make that happen, Awesome, but that's not actually what's happening. What's happening instead is that people aren't getting treatment, they're refusing treatment, they're living on the streets, and they're doing drugs and shitting on the street in public.
0: In this Gothamist article, they interview this guy, Ibrahim Ayu, who um, has schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and has had his own run ins. And I, I'm glad she did that because it's important to get his perspective. But at the end, it's just like it gets a little bit delusional. Uh, I'll just read Ayu doesn't know the man in Greenpoint, but he wonders if the man also feels misunderstood. He wishes residents of the neighborhood would make more of an effort to build a relationship with him and find out what he needs instead of trying to remove him. This is a guy who walks around threatening and punching people. That's not that's not how it works. Um, and I do think, I think public opinion can and has changed on things like, should we lock up people for smoking pot? It will never change on, do I want to feel safe walking down my street? Do I want open drug use down my street? And this is just an area of real disconnect and, and it's just, I think it'll just be a huge political loser always and yeah.
1: All right, Jesse, well, thank you for that. Anything else?
0: That's it, Katie. Uh, this has been Blocked reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. Uh, also, thank you to my researcher for this one, I'm Jesse Single, and remember, nobody should be forced to live in a neighborhood where there's open podcasting occurring.
1: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember to stay tuned for Kanye's forthcoming line of Free Palestine Yeezys.